0: Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now.
1: I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes and Jason Staples. You're listening to the Inside Carolina radio show sponsored by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Gentlemen, we are in the short rows of this North Carolina 2018 football season, and now the games uh, matter more for the fans likely than maybe for the coaching staff. I don't know. Greg, two years ago, Carolina goes to Duke. They're up 14 to nothing. They're rolling. Trubisky looks great. And then uh, somebody stole Carolina's soul. And ever since then, it's just been a, a bad time on the football field for Chapel Hill in Chapel Hill for North Carolina. Your thoughts on returning maybe to the scene of whatever happened that happened that put Carolina in this spiral downward.
0: Yeah. I think everybody, everybody that watched that game knew that North Carolina had kind of choked that one away. Cause if you remember Duke had not won a conference game yet that year. And there's, I don't know if irony is the right word or not, but the fact that yeah, that game was played on November 10th, 2016, and this game on Saturday is November 10th as well. Um, so the fact that it's, they're two years apart on the exact same day, exact same opponent, is uh, is, is interesting for sure. But when we talk about kind of the, the trajectories of Larry Fedora's program, um, I mean, it's just phenomenal. What happened before that game? What happened? What's happened since? And North Carolina had won 18 of the last 22 going into that game. They'd won 13 of 14 ACC games. They were atop the ACC standings in the Coastal. Uh, they they were tied with Virginia Tech and had a chance to you know, go back to the ACC championship game for a second year in a row. As you mentioned, uh, North Carolina looked great there in the first quarter. Go up 14 to zip. And then Mitch Trubisky and a couple of his teammates after the game said, "Yeah, you know we were rolling, and we took our, our foot off the gas." And uh, North Carolina just has not been able to find that pedal ever since. And you, know, what what has transpired <laughs> since is, is phenomenal. I mean, North Carolina has lost 19 of their 24 games since that night, uh, three and 19 against FBS competition, two. In uh, 14 against ACC competition, and so it's just been a free fall. You know that was that was a point in time where North Carolina had won 19 games over a two year span, and they had, uh, like I guess they had won they won 18 games at that point, and they still had you know four games left to play, and it's just just been just a spiral out of control. So, uh, as you mentioned, this is an opportunity for North Carolina to. Uh, uh, you, you can't write the ship at this point in time, but you, you can try to claim wins over Duke this weekend, and try to steal one from NC State in two weeks at home. You know, maybe that kind of uh, gives you a little bit of you know, good feelings going into the off season that you actually were able to kind of beat your rivals. That's something, I guess. Uh, but but certainly, what's transpired the last two years has just been uh, been incredible. Uh, I think that's about the only way you can describe it.
2: Just goes to show that you never, ever, ever take your foot off the gas.
1: Exactly. And it kind of reminded me, listening to you say that, Greg, of like, and it's Carolina's riding the proverbial bicycle down the hill and your foot comes off the pedal and you can't get it back on there. um, And you get out of control and it keeps going down faster and faster um, and usually ends in bad ways at the bottom of the hill. Jason what happened (laughs) i mean how does it happen i think they they had won like 19 leading up to that they've lost almost that much i mean has i'm not sure i've seen a team unless you want to talk about a southern miss team um back a a few years ago that was really good maybe 11 win team that went oh and 12 soon thereafter um maybe relevant to the conversation or not but How does it happen for a school like North Carolina to be on the top and then on the bottom in virtually no time at all?
2: Well, I mean, that's always the mystery. Um, I mean, we've talked the quarterback situation to death. So, I mean, I'm not going to go too much more into that. But, you know, obviously when you lose uh, Trubisky and replace him with what they've had on the field – that's uh, not ideal. That's a big part of it. But, uh, you know, there are other, other elements. I mean, culturally you, you, something, something winds up missing. Uh, I mean, I saw this happen up close when I was at Florida state. I mean, I got there in 2000, which was our last year in the national title game. And then by 2002, we were, we were average uh, with, with a lot of talent still on the roster. I mean, that 2002 team had, probably what, thirty-five guys play in the NFL. I mean, it was a super talented team. Uh, multiple pro bowlers, but was never as successful. And yeah, there was a quarterback shift there, starting Chris Ricks, who, you know, was never anything uh like what they'd had had before. But the other thing that really changed was culturally, we went from a uh I mean we had a we had a player die during during uh during off season conditioning, uh one of my teammates. And uh and I know that definitely changed affected the trust with the coaching staff and, and, and so on. But I don't think it all, you know, traces back to, to one thing. Ultimately though, what happened is we went from a team that was very player led in terms of culture, uh, a, a team where, you know, if you, if you weren't working yourself to death, then there was accountability from other players to a, coach-led team where basically it was coaches trying to persuade players to do what they needed to do and sometimes players kind of sneaking off to do their own thing and that happened within like a year I mean just everything changed and and it's always been a little bit of a mystery there I mean we had a change in terms of strength coach you know we lost Mark Richt as the offensive coordinator that year I mean there's all sorts of stuff that changes but and, and with North Carolina, they had, you know, a coordinator change. They had, you know, all sorts of, they had a quarterback change. They had all sorts of different things, but it just goes to show that when you lose it, it's really hard to recover. And, you know, again, when you have your, when you have the foot on the, on the gas pedal and you, you're able to steer, you never take that foot off, especially against a rival. But the bottom line is that you have to maintain momentum and you have to maintain that edge and it just seems to me like carolina for quite a while for those couple of years played with played with a decent edge at least you know more so than 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 uh than they have since and ever since they've they've just not they've not played with that kind of aggressiveness with that kind of uh, uh that kind of chip on their shoulder that uh that they that they had when they were winning winning those games and and you can't win in in football unless unless that that chemistry that culture thing is is taken care of so it's hard to really put a finger on it but you know it, it's sort of a confluence of a lot of things
1: greg jason talks about the thing that you know learning to win or having a positive culture or a culture of winning and you know we can talk about the quarterback issue i don't think we need to it is what it is and folks clearly understand that but it can't just be that i mean there's more to it i think uh, but is it i mean all these other things like um maybe the discipline aspect of it or the or the player led teams i mean latrell leaves is is losing the coordinator that big a deal um, For a team, I mean, your thoughts just on overall, because I'll be honest with you, I'm still stumped that two years to the day when this game is played on this coming Saturday, two years ago, Carolina was almost at the mountaintop. And that quickly, it's all gone.
0: Yeah, well, it helps in that situation. You've got a guy at quarterback who would go on to be the you know, number two overall draft pick. So the quarterback position at the college level um, – granted, I mean, at the pro level as well, but it seems like almost more at the, the college level – is clearly the most important position on the field. Larry Fedora has said as much with regard to his own offense. So that certainly is a big part of it. Uh, you know, he he's was blessed coming into North Carolina where you had you know, guys like Bren Renner and Marquis Williams and Mitch Trubisky uh, to be able to coach. And that's that's a good <laughs> – it's a good trio of, uh, quarterbacks there, but yeah, I, I think you're right, that there's more, there's more to it. And, um, you know, I think Fedora deserves credit. If you go back to 2014, I, I, I was pretty certain there as that season came to a close that he was losing that locker room. And after what happened in Detroit, I'll never forget that, that post-game locker room scene. Uh, we were not talking about the game. We were talking about you know this player pointing his finger at this player and they're in the same locker room doing it and uh it was a mess. And so you gotta give him credit because that offseason he he changed things around. And you know, he started going to to lunches with the players. I remember Marquise Williams saying, like, Larry's showing up to, to lunch with us, and we're like, What's he doing here? We've never seen him here before. So during that whole 2015 year it was really a matter of, okay, look, Larry has made the necessary changes to be able to get this, this thing back on track. And now we're in this position of, okay, can he do that again? And the fact that he needs to do it again, is that a problem? Uh, but to me, yes, quarterback is the primary issue, but I think, I think recruiting um, is, is an issue. I think people get blinded by recruiting rankings. Uh, I think you have to be able to, to develop players. You got to find them first, and you got to be able to develop them. And I think that has been an issue within this program. Uh, you know, I think uh, you know, defensively, I, I'm, I'm still trying to determine exactly what the issue is, but there is some disconnect uh, with how this offense pairs with this this defense. We've seen a bunch of different defenses here during the Fedora era, and none of them have really had a lot of success. You know, Vic had success first couple years. And there's a lot of talent on that, that defensive side of the ball. But even then there were some deficiencies. Uh, And we've seen that play out year and year, as you know, year and year as we go on, even if there's different defensive coordinators, you know, Gene Chizik was here. um, And yes, they had a good year defensively in 2015, but the numbers weren't dominant. And it was almost kind of like smoke and mirrors because they did a really good job keeping teams out of the, the end zone. But the numbers weren't all that impressive. Uh, and so there's a lot of little things like that. We've talked a lot about game management. We talked a lot about you know, the, the penalties, the discipline aspects. So a lot of different things have kind of combined to get us to where we're at. Uh, but, but certainly quarterbacks, one of the most pressing ones.
1: Good discussion going on. But let me talk about our sponsor, Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. He was 15. So all you need to know to get that 15% off your everyday order. That we've talked about all the time on this podcast. They've been great to us. Supporting the Inside Carolina Podcast. Now help them out by visiting. Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. And the surrounding areas. Including that Chatham County store. Go online. Pick one of those stores. Get your favorite subs. Enter enter the code HEALS15. Get 15% off that order. It's a great way to save some money. And get some great food. And now look. Western Carolina game in a couple of weeks. It's at three o'clock in the afternoon. Perfect time to get you some lunch. Tailgate Jersey Mike's. Go to jerseymikes.com/front/slash/order. Pick the location, one of those locations in and around Chapel Hill. Pick plenty of food for your tailgate. Enter the coast Hills15. Save that 15% off. Skip the line, straight to the register. Grab your food. You're on your way to the Carolina Western game or to lunch order your house or anywhere you're going to go where you need to eat some good subs, Jersey Mike subs of Chapel Hill, Jersey com front slash order, enter the code Hills 15, save that money, save that 15%. Do it now. Get some great food. Jason, speaking of quarterback, Daniel Jones, if, and if I'm right, he was the quarterback two years ago, right? Greg and Carolina couldn't do much Correct. with him. Couldn't do That's much right, with him.
0: He was a guy. Young guy that came in, and uh, I think that was the year that Cert got hurt. And so yeah. Jones, who was a redshirt freshman at the time, came in and, and played well.
1: Yeah, and so you've got a guy, Jason, that was tremendously highly ranked by any stretch that has been extremely effective for Duke, and he's given Carolina fits. And here we are again. He's back there. He's been effective. Uh, Looking at the article on InsideCarolina.com from today, 62%, 1,500-plus yards, 13 touchdowns, and only five picks. But his legs seem to have given Carolina trouble in the past. So how does Cutcliffe do it? You know, he's a very good coach. That's clear. But he has made Duke's culture um, positive and a winning culture at Duke. and. I think that's what's gotten people so up in arms is that if he can do that at Duke, why can't Carolina's ship get turned around? But just speak to Daniel Jones and Cutcliffe in general and the Duke program in general.
2: Well, I mean, one thing that Cutcliffe has done a really, really good job of, and you know, I've, I've uh, uh, actually had a, a, a former Duke player on the coaching staff with me this year uh, helping out at, uh, at Jordan, so we talked some about this as well. Uh one of the things that that Cutcliffe has done really, really well there is, is that he has built a a culture of accountability uh throughout that program. And 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 I and I will say it did appear to slip for a couple of years. And if you talk to Cut and the, and, and the people in that program, they felt they felt that uh after a couple of years ago, they needed to go back to basics and again come back out with certain levels of accountability. Uh, starting from coaches down but essentially they they built from uh built this that program on the basis of we're going to demand accountability and we're going to demand outstanding fundamentals on everything and that's basically what they've what they've emphasized so uh, that i think is the right approach for a program like duke what they tried to do and what cut you know advertised and how he has recruited since he got to to duke is to try to replicate what stanford has done on the on the west coast to try to be the east coast stanford so you recruit high academic players who maybe you know have a little bit lower ath- athletic ceiling in some res- respects than than a lot of the guys that would go to top top schools uh may not in some cases but they're guys that will buy into that emphasis on fundamentals and that emphasis on accountability and so on and so they've recruited very well to their culture and then they've emphasized that culture and as a result that works its way down the entire program i think that's the thing that they've done the best there uh that combined with cutcliffe's ability to evaluate quarterbacks and always seeming seeming to have a quarterback on his roster who can who can at least run something that he that he likes to run. Uh, you know, run that offense with some measure of success and manage what they want. Uh, If you're able to consistently develop and evaluate quarterbacks and you have a quality culture, then you're probably going to have success at least commensurate with your with your talent level in terms of physical talent on your roster, if not more. Uh, And I think that's been the secret. And, And if you look at that compared to North Carolina, I think a lot of this goes back to recruiting and, and, and there's a difference between, I mean, yeah, they recruit some of the same players. Uh, you look at Chaz Surratt was recruited by, by Duke just as much as he was by North Carolina. And you wonder, you know, would there be any difference there? I don't think he'd be be starting at quarterback at Duke. Um, but if you look at, if you look at the players that they brought in across the board, there's been some difference. I think as you look at, um, as you look at the, the two, program cultures, uh, at this stage. And I think that that's the biggest and most obvious difference. Uh, the other difference though, is that I think Carolina tends to be more athletic across the board, uh, which is the, you know, the, the flip side of that. So, and that's why Carolina, I think when those teams match up and, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, even in other respects, Carolina has tended to, uh, to win those games because they tend to be, they tend to have better athletes on the outside and. and And all that 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 makes a difference against a team like Duke. So to me, if you're going to do anything to kind of imitate what Duke has done, it's to make sure that you emphasize uh, that level of that same kind of accountability and that same level of, uh, you know, playing very sound football as a uh, as an emphasis which you know is sometimes not not easy to do if you're emphasizing speed or other things. I mean, it can be done. I've you know certainly there are programs that do it, and I think Carolina's done it okay in the past. But that's the thing that you would really want to pull from uh, from Cutcliffe's approach at Duke.
1: And just to see how it is in real time, Greg, from '90 to 2011, Duke beat Carolina one time. That was 2003, and if my memory serves that was a game that Carolina got way behind and all Durant almost came back. I believe that game was in Keenan stadium. I remember being yep. there, uh, but it's foggy. Uh, but since Fedora has been in Chapel Hill, Duke's four and two against Carolina, uh, that is right. There is a, di- a direct matchup between what Jason talks about the Cutcliffe way of doing things with the accountability. And the uh, you know the fundamentals and all that versus how Fedora has done them, regardless of what Fedora says he wants to do, but how they've been implemented or how they've uh, borne out. It's just an interesting dynamic between the two uh, coaches themselves. Obviously, personality is very different, but then the way they run their programs, and Cutcliffe's got the advantage. Um, with, as Jason said, and I believe, with far, far less talent, uh, physical talent, on those rosters.
0: Yeah, and I, I don't, I don't want to read too much into this because this has been a talking point for us over the years. But I think it's relevant to this discussion. Uh, I mean, if you take penalties like over the last five years, just looking through this quickly, Duke ranks in the top five every single year of the top the last five years in the ACC in terms of fewest penalties and fewest penalty yards. I think they're leading the league this year in fewest penalty yards. And they're actually, they're nationally and fewest uh, penalties per game and fewest penalty yards per game. North Carolina during the Fedora era um, has ranked higher than 10th in the ACC once, and that was 2015. And they've been up the bottom more often than not. Um, and so that kind of speaks to the accountability uh, and kind of making sure that that you're making the right play, you're you're playing smart, you're not having the after-the-whistle penalties, uh, you're not getting the false starts, you're not getting the blatant holds, although your holds are going to happen. Uh, and so you know, maybe that's putting drawing too big of a circle around that one particular stat, but I, I think that's illuminating. And then it, for this year in particular, if you look at just uh, these teams in terms of their offensive and, and defensive production – I mean, offensively, if you look at yards per play, Duke is averaging 5.62 yards per play. Carolina is 5.56. So uh, virtually the exact same in terms of efficiency there. Uh, defensively, it's a little bit little bit more in Duke's favor. Not a whole lot, though. Duke's given up 5.4 yards per play. North Carolina's at 5.9. Uh, but yet we're talking about a team that, and North Carolina is one and seven. Duke has already clinched ball eligibility at six and three. And so, kind of what that says is all right, so even though some of those numbers are equatable, there are other things going on that's allowing Duke to find success, whereas North Carolina has not been able to capitalize. And so, that gets into you, you being able to finish games, right? It's being able to cut down on turnovers, turnover margins. Uh, that, that differential is pretty heavily in Duke's favor. It's it's being efficient on third down, both offensively and defensively. Duke has much better numbers in that category. Uh, so those are kind of the, the opportunistic uh, stats that you look at and say, okay, what's really separating these teams? Uh, and quarterback play certainly plays a role in that, uh, but there's a lot more that go, goes into it. And I, I do think that's kind of where you get into the, the coaching dynamic of, all these little nuances and all these little details, when you put them all together, all of a sudden you have something significant, even though when you look at them individually, maybe it is, it's not that glaring.
1: I got one more thought on this, but let me talk about com, Guys, this is a great way to book travel to see great Carolina basketball games. And right now, HeelsTravel.com is offering that trip to Chicago on December 22nd that we've talked about a lot on the podcast. That you need to go to. You saw Duke in Kentucky, so you've seen the Kentucky Wildcats. You saw Wofford and Tar Heels, so you've seen the Tar Heels. They meet in Chicago on December 22nd. Round trip airfare from RDU to Chicago, transportation to and from the hotel and the airport and two nights at the Chicago Omni right there where the team will be. It's a great chance to see the Tar Heels on a huge stage against a great opponent, even though they took one on the chin earlier in the week. But a Tar Heels versus the Wildcats, you can't beat it. I remember being there in 95 down in Birmingham when Rasheed Wallace and Jerry Stackhouse played. That Kentucky team, great ball game, great environment. Kentucky fans are nuts. North Carolina fans need to show up in full force. com now or call 336-855-0060 to book your trip. Again, com or call 336-855-0060 to book. Jason, let me ask you this and then we are going to get to the actual game itself. But And let me phrase it exactly like I wanted to because I was thinking about it as Greg was talking, but which is uh harder to do for or, or which is more important or, or which is the way to approach it? Uh win ball games or don't lose ball games. You understand <laughs> uh you understand yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I, I do, I do, and I'll I'll go ahead and just take it from there because I'm pretty passionate about this one. Um first and foremost, I believe you go you you know, to, to quote, uh, what's his name out at out Arizona State now, Herm Edwards. To quote Herm Edwards, you play to win the game. <laughs> you play to win the game. You don't play not to lose. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to qualify that because you also, in order to win the game, the first step is not beating yourself. So it's a little more complicated than playing to win versus playing not to lose because what you have what that means is you have to ensure that, you know, if you're if you're uh putting an offense together, you think about this in basketball, right? The first thing you need to do in order to have a successful basketball team, aside from you know, recruiting ridiculous talent, uh, you know, once you have your talent uh together, is you need to make sure that certain fundamentals are taken care of. You need to make sure that you rebound well, and you need to make sure that you're not going to turn the ball over a bunch because if you give other teams more possessions, they're going to eventually beat you. So you find ways to make sure that you rebound well and that you don't turn it over too much. You know, this is just fundamentally have someone that handles the ball well and doesn't turn it over a bunch and you're okay. It's the same way in, 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 in football where – you know, you want to make sure that offensively you're not going to you're not putting the ball in danger a bunch that you fundamentally are going to protect the ball. Uh, you know, so you, you train your players to make sure that that they're keeping the ball tucked with, you know, four points of pressure. Uh, you, you, you know, you, you know, high and tight stuff that your quarterback always has two hands in the ball in the pocket, that there's certain fundamentals that you just have to do so that you don't beat yourself but that's different from playing not to lose because when you're playing not to lose, then what you're doing is you're saying, well, there's a certain amount of risk at play here, but we're always going to take the lower risk or we're going to tend toward the lower risk thing rather than the higher reward thing. And to me, you typically in, in football, if all things are equal, it's an aggressive physical sport. You have to set the tone for your team by, taking that when it's a 50/50 chance, right? And you can take the more aggressive play or the less aggressive play, you default to the more aggressive play. If there's a greater chance, if there's a, you know, a, a reasonable chance of a really big play offset by a little bit of a chance of 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 a negative play, you you default to try to take that really really big play cuz games are won by chunk plays. So that's That's to me, you have to play to win, you have to uh, work your way f- backwards, basically, from what are the things that we have to do to win this game, and then beyond that, you just have to rely on your fundamentals so that you don't beat yourself. I think that's the that's the formula.
1: Greg, I was going to yeah. jump straight to game, but yeah, I want your comments there because when I was thinking about the question, I was thinking, Duke does not seem to lose games. They get beat, but they don't lose games. They don't do it to themselves. They don't self-inflict. And I'm not so sure I could say that about Carolina or a lot of other teams. You you Um,
2: certainly can't say it about Carolina. They've beaten themselves multiple times this year.
1: Yeah, multiple times in the last three weeks and four weeks. But, Greg, your thoughts on it for sure before we can move on into the actual ballgame.
0: Yeah, well, the the main thing I was going to say is I was going to pull a, a Roy Williams and bring in a, a golf analogy because I think Jason's spot on. Uh, when I was teaching golf you know, fifteen twenty years ago, that was really before the time of analytics, and so you know, uh, we you would teach you know, in terms of the mental side of things to be conservative and to try to play smart without putting yourself in harm's way. And Nick Faldo, for example, always talked about if. If he got you know, behind a tree or in a bad spot, he would always try to lay up to like 86 yards because that was his favorite yardage with his sand wedge. Um, but now that we have all this uh, analytical data over the last, really since 2004 is when it really started with shot link and some of those things, all the data tells us is you don't do that, right? And if you watch golf, you see it now, these guys are, are big and strong and they hit the ball as far as they can. You hit it as far as you can, you go find it, and you hit it again. Because what all the stats say is, the, uh, the closer you are to, to scoring, the better the chance you have to actually score.
2: If you're so a you, good you player. Play,
0: <laughs> well, it, it, yes. But if, if you keep moving <laughs> the ball down the fairway, you're giving yourself better opportunities. It's much better to have a shot from 50 yards in the rough than it is to have from hundred yards in the middle of the fairway. And that's been proven out. Uh, and so, yeah, it really is a matter of you you've got to play to win. You can't overthink it. You've got to make the smart decisions, but that includes game management. That includes clock management, right? I mean, like North Carolina at Syracuse, we've talked about the kind of the UNC's last series there before overtime. Uh, some questionable play calls there, and Larry Fedora kind of gave different answers when when asked about it at different times. Uh, but he was kind of taking some some shots down the field when all they needed was 10 to 15 yards to set up a field goal. Uh, and so you have to kind of balance the being aggressive just to be aggressive with, hey, let's be aggressive, try to get in position and try to win this game. And we've seen it play out, you know, the last couple weeks and really last two years where North Carolina has been in position late in games and have just failed to finish uh, for, for whatever reason. So you have to play smart and you have to play with a, a will to win and a desire to win. Uh, but there are limitations around that. And you've, you've got to approach that in a very, very smart, intellectual way. And I, I think Cuckler, for the most part has done a pretty good job of that uh, you, throughout his career.
1: Yeah, it's uh. I don't know if that's an enlightening discussion or a depressing discussion for the folks listening to this podcast, but um you know I think a lot of people listening will be content on just don't blow it uh, when you have an opportunity don't blow it, and that's not really been the case much this well, year
2: and and I will say I'm gonna jump in again one more one one on on the in favor of the of the way that the coaching staff has handled some things this year at Carolina, you look at that Syracuse game. They played to win that game with some of those calls. You know, you look at that that little trick play where they had uh Ratliff Williams throw the football there to try to get that first down. That's absolutely a play to win.
1: And do not they, disagree. I agree a hundred percent, but then you're in the, a position where all you need is five yards to have a field goal to win. Yep.
2: Yep, exactly. And so there they, and again, what they tried to do is they tried to play there, they played too aggressively. And this is the, the flip side of, of, of your analogy, Greg, is that, you know, when sometimes it's not advisable to go after the flag, you may be, you, you may have a, a shot at it, but it's not always advisable. You know, the analytics say to be aggressive, but they also say, don't be stupid. Right, so you you uh, you'll see a lot of these pros take an aim at the center of the at the center of the green, depending on what what the pin placement is, because that's just not a good risk. Because that's one that can hurt you. That's one that can that. Okay, it's one thing to end up in the rough a little bit out here, but you know you're closer, so that offsets it. It's another thing to put it in the water, (laughs) right? Or in my case, to put it you know outside the white sticks that happens, you know, with me sometimes. so, uh, you know, that uh, that's the thing that that where Carolina gotten in trouble sometimes. And I think they got over aggressive and kind of lost lost the idea of, well, you know, if we just hit to the middle of the green here and we get five or 10 yards, we can kick this field goal and, and potentially win it. And they ended up in trouble. So you can be too aggressive. Uh, and then the other thing is, again, you have to be fundamentally sound enough that when you're that when you are playing aggressively you're not spraying it all over the all over the uh all over the course and that when you make the aggressive call to to throw the ball out there that you're mentally tough enough to make the putt to catch the ball in the uh you know and 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 seal that first down to to win the game or to make a slightly better throw that's the stuff where again you have to learn not to beat yourself while playing aggressive and that's it's, it's a hard balance to strike at times. But but once you start to get the feel for it as a player and as a coach, it starts to it starts to make a lot of sense. It's like, you know, like reaching that 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 moment in the matrix where it's like, OK, here's here's our sweet spot and you have to live there. And I think that's kind of what happened after that Duke game that you referenced at the beginning of this episode, Tommy, is that they they lost that sweet spot. Had they kept the pedal down, you know if we want to speculate here, maybe if they'd kept the pedal down just a little bit longer there they they win that game and they move on with momentum and it, it you know the whole direction of the program maybe maybe a little different because maybe they they continue to just dwell and live in that sweet spot as a program We don't know, but it's one of those things you know when you suddenly lose it swing wise or if you get the yips at the putter. You can have some really bad times, so you know it's 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 that balance that you got to find. And Carolina football has not had it.
1: Yep, yeah, and the good the good ones find it, and everybody else is chasing it. Let me go to the ball game itself, Greg. Uh, we've talked about the records. We've talked about Duke's um, success this year. Um, if you do the transitional properties or whatever they are, Duke beat Miami, Miami killed Duke, uh, I mean Miami uh, killed Carolina, Duke won at at Miami, so your thoughts on how this game sort of plays out, I mean Nathan Elliott's going to be the guy, so Carolina's going to have to win within that system that Elliott brings, um, but your thoughts on how it's approached, I mean I, I think you have to be aggressive, I, I think Carolina just has to, at this point in the season, there's no reason not to just let it all hang out.
0: Yeah, I'm not exactly sure that Nathan Elliott is the only option UNC is going to have. Uh, I know Kate <laughs> Fortin has started to uh, practice a little bit and not sure exactly if he's going to be ready, uh, but I think his return is imminent. Um, but regardless, I think your your point is valid, and if you kind of look at you what what Duke has done uh, as we've as we've talked about, they're not a team that is demonstrably better than you kind of the average ACC team. So what they've done is they've taken advantage of their their situations. And if you look at kind of the games that they've lost, like Virginia Tech and in Virginia here of late, and Pittsburgh, Duke lost the turnover battle. And sometimes you we say ah you, you win turnover battle you win, not necessarily. But when you're a team like Duke, where every little advantage matters in a game, you know, the games that they're winning the turnover battle, like they won at Miami, uh, that helps just a little bit more. And when they're not winning the turnover battle, you know, that kind of limits what they can do, and that's when they've had some of these losses. Uh, so not saying that turnovers are like the, the most important part. That's just kind of highlighting the fact that, hey, they're playing a lot of these teams relatively close. And when things go their way, they can win. When things don't, you know, they're not going to win. And so I think saying that to say that I think this is going to be a competitive game. I think this is certainly a game that North Carolina can win. Um, there's a reason that Duke's a 10-point favorite. That's for reasons that we've talked about tonight and that Duke has done a better job of capitalizing on their opportunities. And um, that's why they're they're six and three. And they they played a very physical game at Miami. And I think the fact that they the way they won that game, basically in a in a, a you know, torrential downpour, that, that takes kind of some grit, that takes some determination. That's not easy to do that. That's kind of the, the adversity that Larry Fedora likes to talk about. That's, that's embracing that adversity and being able to, to win a game. So there's value in that as well. Uh, and so you, I think North Carolina can win this game, uh, but they have to hit on a lot of these different things. That's kind of been lacking this season. Um, and if it's Nate or if it's Cade, whoever it may be, uh, they, I think they need to score some early to kind of give them some confidence so that when they get into the fourth quarter, um, it's not a matter of, okay, we just got to make sure we don't blow this again. Because once you have that mindset, you're screwed. Uh, and so it's, it's playing well early. It's building confidence and giving your shot. giving yourself a shot there in the fourth quarter. I think it's going to be the, the the key ingredient here beyond, you know, any of the, the schematics and those kind of things.
1: I'll I'll say this, if Fortin's out there, uh, that changes everything and uh, we'll see, but, uh, I'll probably pick the same way I would, but Fortin certainly is a game changer. I think for North Carolina, Jason, looking at the matchup, sort of Carolina's defense versus Duke, uh, you know, they spread it around. They don't do anything super special or Duke. I mean, uh, but, uh, nine different guys with touchdown passes, Carolina's coming off a game against Georgia Tech that, you know, they gave up a long touchdown pass and then another decent pass, and that was it. So your take on Carolina's defense versus this Duke offense that can be effective, they got a running back that can hit the home run. Carolina's going to have their hands full. Papuchas is going to have their hands full and is going to need one of the better efforts, I think, of the season to have some success on Saturday.
2: Yeah, I mean, I do think they're going to need to have success, and I agree completely that they need to have early success because I think this team is fragile mentally, uh, which happens when you start losing. When things aren't going well, again, you know, the golf analogy works. When putts are dropping, you feel totally different standing over the ball. When you're hitting, when you're hitting it in the fairway, it feels very different with the driver in your hand. <laughs> you know, I've, I've lived both ways. And, uh, you know, when I'm hitting it well with the driver, I can walk to the tee and just swing away and, and know where I, you know, where I'm, where I'm hitting it. And that's, that's a pretty good feeling. And I've also played, I've had, I've had, you know, my share of days out there where I have no clue where it's going off the, off the, off the tee. You know, I I'm going left of left and, you know, all of a sudden you have that, that swing. And if, if that's been happening of late and you have that first swing on the course, and suddenly you, you you get that nice hook, and you, you're OB on that first swing. The first thought is, oh, not not one of these days, and you know not today. And you have to you have to find a way to correct and rebalance and recenter, and you know all whatever else you know you need to do. And when you're losing, you got you got to start well. Uh, so I, I agree. I agree with that, and the, and and in particular, I, again, I think that defense needs to set the tone against Duke's offense, which I think I think they're capable of. Again, Daniel Jones is a, is a quality quarterback, and he can hurt them with both his arm and his legs. But defensively, I mean, they can they've shown this year they can get after the quarterback, and if they're able to get pressure on him early, you know, Duke has. Has, has turned it over at times a little bit. You know, he's not been he's not been dominant. So, um, so yeah, it's been it's been uh, it, it, it's one of those things where I think. And he also tends to hold hold on to the ball uh, a, a decent amount of time. I mean, I'm looking at the numbers right now in Pro Football Focus on t- on how long he tends to hold onto the ball. And uh, you know, I think they that's that's something that they can uh, they can potentially take advantage of.
1: One thing uh Greg and I will take on you and Buck Sanders on the golf course anytime you want. I'm taking Greg. you can have buck um and and we'll put anything you want on it and, uh
2: <laughs> How many strokes are you giving us <laughs>
1: um so you want you we're not giving you anything. How about you can buy a stroke for a hundred dollars and we'll play uh. for <laughs> Greg, uh
2: You got you guys come on down here to uh to to uh Lillington to Keith Hills and I'll I'll be happy to host y'all. Oh that I'll works. Be happy we, to host y'all.
1: We can do that. It's been a while since I've been down there and played that one, but we can do that for sure now. It's that's uh down there to, to, at 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 Campbell, so I'm gonna have to watch my mouth down in that part of the the <laughs> let me pay one more bill and then we'll come back and get this show wrapped up i do have a good question for greg that i think could be a game changer for the tar heels greg one thing that i think carolina gives uh gives carolina a huge boost is having fox and carney on the field at the same time and i think straight that is uh those guys i can't remember the california game but those guys have played great individually can they put it together on the field at the same time. Your thoughts there, and how successful uh, that could make a Carolina defense that is numbers wise been bad, but has made some plays.
0: Yeah, I think that's a that's a, a great point, Tommy. I think those two have shown that they can be effective pass rushers. I think the bigger question, though, not just this week, but over this final stretch, is are they going to be able to field <laughs> you know, an interior <laughs> defensive line? <laughs> I mean, Galen Dalton didn't play last week. Aaron Crawford didn't play last week. Jason Strowbridge got hurt. Uh, Tyler Powell's all kinds of banged up. He's got all kinds of issues going on, but he's just kind of grinding through. He's just that gutty kind of player. Uh, so if Strowbridge is able to go this week, then, yeah, I think all of a sudden now you've got you know, three guys there along the defensive line who are really, really good and can provide a lot of pressure on, on Daniel Jones. Uh, you know, Jeremiah Clark has been steady. Uh, Powell has been very effective both at end and at tackle. So now that you're starting to get some of these pieces back, if you can get some of those guys healthy in the middle, uh, I mean, you've got something to work with. Um, that, you know, the fact that you've lost Alan Cater doesn't bode yeah. well, but I think Tyrone Hopper gave him some, some good minutes, good good snaps last week as well. Uh, and secondary-wise, I think there's still an issue there. The fact that you know, Trey Morrison, it makes sense. They moved him in the corner last week against Georgia Tech. Uh, but not having a guy like K.J. Sells for the rest of the year, C.J. Cotman's probably not going to play. Uh, so it's Greg Ross there. And knowing uh, Cutcliffe, that, that's going to be an opportunity for them to kind of target him. <laughs> uh, so is, is that a stretch, Jason, do you think? No, that's um, no stretch. <laughs> so there there are different pieces uh, that North Carolina has that will work well for them against that that Duke offense. Uh, but they just got to be physical at the point of attack. You know, that's one thing that Cutcliffe's teams have done. Is, you know, we've talked about playing smart and all these kind of things, but they're physical at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. They may not be overpowering or dominant necessarily, but they're physical. And, and sometimes that's been enough in this series uh, to flip the, the script in the Duke's favor. And so if North Carolina can can win the defensive side there at the line of scrimmage, maybe that'll be enough to kind of uh, give the offense time to kind of find its, its, its footing uh, and get some things going and then things can go your way. But if Duke can control the line of scrimmage on both sides, that's just going to be uh, too much for the Tar Hills to overcome.
1: Yep, so we move to the prediction portion of the show, and this sounds like a broken record because it probably is. Greg, I think you'll go first this time. Carolina Duke, uh, Wallace Wade Stadium, I think uh, – interesting note in the bottom of Gregory Hall's article if Duke can pull this one out it is the first time since 53 and 55 they won back-to-back games at home against Carolina uh your thoughts on what happens
0: well to bring this podcast full circle the score of the game two years ago November 10th was 28 27 Duke so may as well make that pick again I think uh, Duke squeaks this one out North Carolina just struggles to, to finish in the, in the final minutes
2: and the blue devils win yet another one.
1: Jason, your thoughts.
2: Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with a similar, similar type of thing. Uh, I'm going to go with again. Uh, you know, I've, I, I broke, I know I broke this rule earlier, but I'm back on it on the, uh, you know, I, I know you've adopted it too, that until they show me that they're, that they're able to finish a game and win it, then I'm going to, I'm going to pick against them. So, uh, I'm also going to go with Duke to to win this game. Uh I'm I'm actually also really concerned about the uh the the rumors about Zion uh suiting up at running back in this game as well and what kind of uh what kind of uh boost that might give them. Um you know that that I, I kind of shudder to think of how Cutcliffe might be able to use him, but um you know I'm going to I'm going to pick as though he's not going to play. <laughs> but if, if he does, you know, then then you can go ahead and tack on a few extra points for, for Duke here. But um, I'm going to go with Duke 31, uh, North Carolina 24 in this game.
1: Yeah, you had to get it in there. You're going to make yourself quite a few friends on the Carolina side of things uh, with the Zion references as if uh, I don't know who the guy is. I've never heard of him. I mean, I'm on social media, and I've never seen his name mentioned. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm gonna go, 35 Duke, uh, 20 Carolina. This again, it's the same thing. I stole your your mantra. <laughs> I'm gonna keep it, and uh, until they show they can do it, if Freeman Jones is the MVP of Carolina's game again, uh, they're not gonna win. And uh, that's not saying that he hasn't done some good things, but kicking field goals is not gonna get it done from here on for Tar Heels, and won't get it done in Durham. 3520 Duke. All right, boys, we got two left, two left of these shows uh, before we wrap it. So uh, we're going to have fun. It's been fun tonight. Hope our listeners enjoyed it. Appreciate it, Greg. Appreciate it, Jason.
0: Thanks for listening to the Inside Carolina Podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code Heels15.
2: Go to JerseyMikes.com/order now.